hello and welcome to Mistakes Made with me, Chris Slowly. And me, Frank Talbot. So, Frank, this week we are joined by Peter Krauss, the CEO and founder of Aperture Investors. I know he's a man with a long storied career, but that's where the emphasis is now. That's what he's focusing on. What did you make of him? What do you know of him? And, and why should our listeners be interested in him? Uh, yeah, we're very lucky to have Peter come on the podcast. As you say, uh, a big CV, spent two decades at Goldman's before spending another decade at Alliance Bernstein as chairman and CEO and presided over a really strong run for that group. Then he's decided to go go, go it alone. Um, and as you can tell for the, from the podcast, he's extremely passionate about one key topic within, within investment. How should fund managers get paid? He believes you should only pay for performance, or rather you should only pay if your investments outperform. And this is a key difference between the way the rest of the industry functions. Yeah, absolutely. It's something fundamentally different to what we deal with on a day-to-day basis. And it's something that we probably don't spend enough time talking about. So it was interesting to hear someone at the forefront doing it, living it, and also so passionate about it. Yeah, very passionate. I mean, it's interesting because over a lifetime, fees make a huge difference to performance when they're compounded. If you're paying one to one and a half percent per annum for your investment, regardless of how well it's doing, that adds up to a lot of money over 40, 50 years. And you've obviously mostly been with investments that underperform on average. Those are just the statistics. So you're effectively rewarding people for mediocre or below average performance. He's coming at it from a slightly different angle to who would normally have guests because he's not effectively a direct investor he's not somebody who was putting money to work in the market but it's interesting because he's talking about how everyone else is putting their money to work in the market how you are effectively are you getting what you pay for which i think is a, a really important question that people should be asking now more than ever really yeah i mean it's interesting in that uh, unlike other guests the mistake wasn't necessarily a personal one but it's a mistake that we all make so i guess mistakes we made excellent so Welcome to Mistakes We Made with our guest this week, Peter Krauss. So, Peter, what is your biggest investment mistake to date and what did you do about it? Well, I don't know that I can categorize my biggest because I've made a lot of mistakes. Uh, <laughs> Come to the right 40 show. Plus, a 40-plus year history, if someone said they didn't make a lot of mistakes, that would be unusual. But I think one that's sort of relevant to our conversation or what we're doing at Aperture is when I started this concept of uh, performance-based fees, uh, I uh, did so at uh, Alliance Bernstein. And one of the things I was really focused on was trying to change the incentive ecosystem so that the portfolio manager essentially was aligned with the client. At the end of the day, the client hires an asset manager to outperform a benchmark or to outperform you know, whatever index the client has agreed with the, uh, with the asset manager. And you want the portfolio manager to be compensated in alignment with that. But oftentimes, frankly, almost all times, uh, asset managers and portfolio managers are compensated based on fixed fees times, times assets. Fixed fees times assets has nothing to do with the actual performance of the asset pool. Of course, if you perform poorly, it's hard to have assets. And if you perform well, you can have more assets. But well was a big, long band. It's got lots of permutations to it. And oftentimes, when, when people accumulate a lot of assets, they don't actually outperform by very much. And beta drives assets up in equities, and carry drives assets up in fixed income. So assets get bigger for reasons other than performance. So I, I wanted uh, managers to have this sort of different incentive system, i.e. to be really focused on uh, managing the assets for the client and outperforming. 
And so I did that at Alliance Bernstein, but the managers had two pools of assets from which compensation was derived, the traditional pool of assets and the new pool of assets. And the new pool of assets wasn't anywhere near large enough to really change their performance. So that's the reason why Aperture was born, because Aperture is a pure play. Uh, there are no uh, fixed uh, fee assets at Aperture. All the assets at Aperture are driven by uh, a performance fee, and the perform and the portfolio manager is paid based on the performance fees. And we've had years in which the performance on the funds has not been attractive or zero, uh, and the PMs haven't been paid. And we've had years in which the uh, assets have had significant performance, and the PMs have been paid very very handsomely. And so. Uh, I like that alignment, and I think I find the PMs like that alignment, and I find the clients like that alignment, because at the end of the day, that's what they hired you for. So I'm just wondering, that, that alignment of, of performance-based remuneration, you know, did that, was that born out of a mistake that you'd seen made consistently? And you yeah. made yourself, more importantly, this is a personal mistake we're asking here, Peter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'd say that my personal mistake is tied up with, uh, you know, with the industry's construct. But, you know, for many, many years, I would uh, get frustrated over how do you compensate a portfolio manager when they haven't really outperformed, but their assets are higher and they demand more compensation because the revenue's grown. And I find that an anomaly. I mean, actually quite frustrating. Uh, and so... Uh, yeah, I think that this whole concept was born out of a frustration that grew up over many, many years. I mean, it didn't happen over one year. I was in the industry for 20, 25 years before I finally said to myself, this just doesn't make any sense. Why, why do I keep paying people fixed fees when they don't perform? It just doesn't wash. And their incentives are to grow their assets and their incentives are not to perform for me. Now, on the other hand, you, you talk to a portfolio manager and they tell you all the time they're focused on performance. And it's true they're focused on performance, but as I said, you can perform by 100 basis points, you can outperform by 1,000 basis points. That's, you know, that's performance in either case. And so uh, I want them focused on performance that's good for me, the client, and there isn't really a way to get to that level of alignment unless their compensation is similarly aligned. You, I've read a few profiles in preparation for this, Peter, and one, the, the, one of the lines that stood out was you said the industry is broken. Did it break you at all or did you is this your way of fighting back against it well i i don't feel as if uh, i'm broken i i do feel frustrated uh i i think this is absolutely my way of fighting back against it uh it's absolutely my way of offering to clients something that i think is in their interest i've always felt that if you do the right thing by clients over time that business works if you do the wrong things by client over time that business struggles and look, you don't have to talk to yes, talk to me to figure this out. I mean, look at the movement from asset from active assets to passive assets. It's gigantic. It's you know trillions of dollars. It's it's not this is not a new thing. This is not a surprise. Why does that happen? Because people are frustrated by investing in active assets. They don't get a return, and they've said, well, why would I pay? Well, and I agree. And so my answer is. You got to change the system. You got to change the paradigm. And if you don't change the paradigm, people, assets will just keep moving from active to passive because the active industry doesn't perform. It still isn't performing. You know, you, you have this issue in other parts of the asset management business too. People have moved to the alternative space 
and the view is the alternative space, which by the way has performance fees, is you know a much much better aligned place. But most of the performance fees in the alternative space charge on both alpha and beta, and you need to separate alpha and beta to pay a manager 20% times beta. They also have an incentive to have more assets because they're getting paid on the beta dollar. So the more assets they have, and the more that the market goes up, the bigger their earnings are. And so again, are they really focused on returns for you, or are they focused on getting exposure to markets when markets are running? So I think that you know the industry is a complex industry. Incentive structure is also complex. And I, I think Jack Bogle in the 70s said, I have a simple solution. I'm going to charge very little for just being the market. And I think that was an intelligent and very effective activity. Peter Krauss said, I'm going to charge for performance and don't expect to have a lot of assets because <laughs> you can't have a lot of assets if you're going to perform. And I'm hoping that there are many Peter Krauses that will populate the asset management world and will deliver to clients a much more effective uh, performance construct. And that's actually what I hope happens over time. Do you, do you feel like something of a lone voice with this message within the industry? I mean, obviously you've amassed assets, but is it, is it hard to break through to people to make them see this? I think, you know, my, one of the things I got wrong, I think originally was I thought the retail um, world would move more quickly to this than the institutional world. I thought the institutional world would take three years of track records and they would be more cynical uh, as to allocating capital to the aperture managers. Uh, and I thought the retail world uh, would get this in a nanosecond. They, you know, they're the world that's, that's more frustrated with, uh, with active management. And if I was a financial advisor, I would be saying to my clients, look, you know, why are we paying these managers whether or not they perform? Here we can have a manager and we don't pay them if they don't perform and we do pay them if they do perform and that's good for us. That hasn't happened, to be honest. Uh, to be honest, that it's it's been easier for the uh, for the retail world to continue to sell the fixed fee. Simpler, uh, the the regulatory um, constraints around um, disclosure make the disclosure of the fulcrum fee model complex, or at least put it this way, you have to discuss you have to disclose many words in order to get the the concept across. The RIA community seems to be uh, latching onto this much more quickly than the traditional wirehouse community, which I also find interesting. But you asked if I feel like a lone wolf. I don't, because if you if you look at the institutional space, there are many institutional buyers that have actually moved asset managers to this fee model. Now, the thing that they don't get, they, the institutions, don't get is they don't get a pure play. They, they, we end up back where I said was a mistake to begin with because you have managers on the margin that are paying on performance, but most of their assets and most of their revenue comes from fixed fees. You really haven't changed the incentive structure of the manager. What you're giving the institution is a fee structure at once, but I want to also change the incentive structure for the portfolio manager because the fee structure is just one part. The most important part is getting the manager to behave differently. That's the key issue. What's the most consistent behavioral mistake that you see with the traditional remuneration model? They gather too many assets and then they end up hugging the benchmark because they don't want to lose the assets. Can we, I mean, this sounds like this is going to be a huge way that the industry goes. And Peter, I'm very conscious that you've been in the industry for a number of years. You've gone through a number of different roles in different companies. If we could rewind slightly, because 
you went through Merrill, you were at Goldman's, you, you led AB for a number of years. If we could go back into some of those, for example, when you were overseeing Alliance Bernstein, that, that was your first CEO role, is that right? If I don't mind, yeah. I know there was well, some... I think, you know, I, I, I was obviously head of the Goldman Sachs business, so but not that wasn't an independent business. That was my first CEO as a public company. Well, can we talk about what you learned in that capacity? Because, I mean, that is... I mean, we've talked about tradition, we've talked about new thinking, and I think I saw a quote attributed to you about disruption as well. And it feels like this is a disruptive moment at the moment. But when you were, for example, overseeing AB... How did you stay away from AB? Because I, sorry, stay away from disruption. Because I realised at that time, Kathy Wood was there. She's gone on to have great success in what is considered a very disruptive way of thinking. What sort of lessons did you learn while you were doing that job? Well, I think you know Alliance Bernstein was a an interesting challenge. Uh, I went to Alliance Bernstein at the end of 08, December fifteenth, uh, and you'll recall at that time the market was a bit of a challenge. Uh, and Alliance Bernstein was in a bit of a tough situation, meaning their assets had dropped from 770 billion to south of 300 billion, uh, and it was obviously in, in a challenging spot. Uh, what we did at Alliance Bernstein over the intervening eight to nine years was nothing short of changing many parts of the company. Um, and what did you change? In that what, sense, what type of things did you have to focus on? We had to add new services. Uh, we added new teams. We changed the way we, we invested. We uh, offered private clients new opportunities, new structures. We did many things, and some didn't work, and many did work. Um, you know, we brought on a whole set of different investment services, and we tried to change the investment services we were offering. Uh, I think we recognized that we had to, in effect, disrupt what we were doing. But the idea of the fee construct came out of many years of me trying to figure out what is it, what characteristic is it that I could identify that would increase the probability of performance. You can't guarantee performance. I mean, some of our services haven't performed in given years. Um, and, you know, you're not going to have a, a manager that will outperform every year. But how do you increase the probability of that? And one of the things that I was most focused on in all the jobs, Goldman Sachs and in Alliance Bernstein, was capacity, controlling capacity, and taking the incentive away from the portfolio manager just to grow assets, because that was the anathema of producing returns. There was, there was no question in my mind, I don't think there's any question in anybody's mind, that the more assets you manage, the more challenging it is to perform. And so the disruption in the industry is removing from the industry its traditional driver, which is gathering more assets. How many times have you heard a question asked of a CEO, how many more assets are you going to gather? How fast are your assets growing? I'm going to value your company more attractively or less attractively based on asset growth. That, in a way, that's not what the client wants. The client doesn't care about how fast your assets grow. The client only cares about whether you perform. So let's ask the question, are you performing? And will you make more money if you perform? Because now I know the incentive structure is aligned with the performance, and that's what I, the client, want. I mean, you talk about asset growth being you know, the, the biggest problem. We've seen a lot of asset growth in some fairly niche thematic areas in the past 24 months since the pandemic started. Uh, it's very difficult for an asset manager to say no to new assets. And a lot of the assets come based on performance, right? If, if, you're, if you're good at your job or your area is hot, 
you, you gather the assets. Doesn't it need to be more about the corporate level rather than the fund manager being remunerated on that? It's tough for an asset manager to say no to more money. No, Frank, you're exactly right. It's the, the, <laughs> the challenge in the industry is the incentive structure is corrupted at the corporate level and at the portfolio manager level. The whole model is, is set up that way. So sure, yeah. Uh, the, the you know if, you, if I've interviewed 600 portfolio managers to choose the six managers we have at Aperture, and one of the one of the challenges is trying to find portfolio managers that aren't conditioned to I want to have more assets because that's how they've grown up, and and some PMs would say to me you know I'd like to be in an organization where the manage the management isn't telling me to go out and get more assets because that's not good for me, me meaning I want to perform. And, and management is, of course, incentivized to gather more assets. So as a CEO of AB, it, you know, I was always looking for more assets. That was, you know, my job was to find more assets because that's how I grew. And that's how the company did better. And that's how the earnings were better. And that's how earnings grew. But at the end of the day, that's a real challenge for performance. You know, th there are some services you know, fixed income, investment grade bonds, for example, where you don't expect much alpha and where asset growth is probably not really undermining returns to any great extent. Uh, and, and there are parts of the asset management business and BlackRock has a huge business in passive that, you know, can grow. And, and that's the beauty of passive, actually. It's not actually sensitive to asset growth. You know, you can grow dramatically and still pretty much produce a passive performance that is equal to the index. You cannot do that in active management. You know, in active management where you're looking for significant performance, it's just not possible to have sizable assets. You will simply undermine your performance over time. What are the, what are the red flags for you uh, when you see like liquidity in a market, mistakes being made, pe people taking too much money? I'm thinking about kind of environmental assets at the moment. There are three or four very large funds in Europe that are all apparently close to new investment yet taking in new money all the time. Uh, what what would you assess if you're about to make a, an investment in a particular sector, or you you see a fund manager getting too large, and you know that's the that, that's the time to get out? What should investors be looking for? Well, look, I think that um, diversification in uh, let's talk about stocks for a minute because bonds are generally much more diversified than stocks, although you get the same effect over time in bond markets. But, you know, in, in stock portfolios, when you have 100 stocks or more than 100 stocks, it's really hard to perform. I mean, you look like an index. You know, if you have 60, 70, 80 stocks, you're, you're sort of getting to the danger zone. Um, but if you have over 100, there are some organizations that can produce modest performance at that, at that level, but most can't. And, you know, you just end up looking like effectively an index. And if you're outperforming by significant amounts and you have a lot of factor risk that's working at a certain point in time, and then that factor risk shifts. And we're seeing that now. I mean, look in the marketplace. The, the you know, the managers who have a lot of money and who outperform dramatically are underperforming dramatically. And that's just the factor reversing. And you said earlier, Frank, this is an issue that, that the industry just is, is I don't know, insatiably, <laughs> they're insatiably troubled by. So people don't want to give money to managers unless they have good five-year track records. Well, if you have a good five-year track record and you have a lot of assets, you're probably following a factor that's been doing very well. And then you give the money to the manager and then the manager underperforms, of course, because they outperform for five years. And then you stick with the manager for two years or three years. And if they underperform for two to three years, you fire them and do this, do it again. That's insanity. That's literally <laughs> insanity. But that's what happens. 
And then so and managers know that. So they outperform for five years. They start gathering assets. They start to underperform. They squeeze their their active risk down because they don't want to lose the assets. And that's where you get this benchmark performance. Does this happen to every manager? No, of course it doesn't. But there are thousands of managers out there and people allocate that, you know, nobody allocates to two managers they, or five managers. They allocate to 10 or 15. So you allocate to 10 or 15, you're bound to pick up managers that are in this you know, in this construct. And then when you look at your portfolio of active managers, you don't perform. In fact, you underperform. And then you fire them all and you buy passive. And then you decide that active management doesn't work. And that's just wrong. Active management does work. It's just the structure of the industry doesn't allow you to get to active management working. So that is why Aperture exists, because it is an anecdote to that craziness. You've mentioned Peter, at the start, because you said there was, it was from a top-down perspective as well as the portfolio managers, and you've been in that seat. And I mean, in preparation for this reading articles, almost every article started with how much money you got from moving jobs because people are fixated as it was if a gotcha moment of, well, Peter Krauss pocketed this amount of money having left that job. So it seems like there is a huge psychological shift. Is there anything in the way that you've approached Aperture that you would change? Because it does, like you said, with retail and the way that that has been progressed and maybe not as quick as you expected... Would you have done any of that differently? Would you have come at it from a different angle at all? Well, um, you know, one thing that's interesting about Aperture versus all the other places I've been at, I don't make any money at Aperture unless we perform. Now, I don't think there's another company in the asset management industry where that's the case. You know, our base fees are very low. As you know, they're ETF level fees, so they're meant to simply recover our costs and, and we have to be a certain size for that to happen. Uh, and, and ultimately as the owner of the business, I don't make any money unless the portfolio managers perform. So I feel very aligned to the client and if I'm happy, the client's happy. And if I'm unhappy, the client's unhappy. And so my motivation as a manager is to make the performance happen. It's, you know, it's, it's of course to gather some level of assets, but I'm very sensitive to how many assets we take on because I don't make any money. If I have 50 billion of assets and don't perform, I make nothing. If I have $10 billion of assets and perform very well, I make plenty. So to me, I'm very focused on asset capacity. That's the uh, manager capacity. That's a key issue from, you know, from my point of view. And that's why I feel comfortable that Aperture is a fully aligned model with the client. Now, of course, clients want to make sure that the managers that we've selected at Aperture and, and work at Aperture are good managers. And so, of course, that takes some track record. But once we've established a track record that we that we do perform, then there aren't many places in which you're going to find managers that the incentive structures are aligned with the client as clearly as apertures are. They just aren't, period. I know the industry. I mean, you know the industry. It just doesn't exist. Because you talked previously, you talked about Aperture being the Netflix of asset management. Is there any danger in sort of trying to to use that as a an analogy when netflix is now i mean it has its pros and cons <laughs> and it's had I mean, no, we're speaking the at the end of january and it's had some definite cons in recent history but yeah sorry go ahead some, some yeah, questionable concept, content yeah exactly the, the concept the concept i was going for at the time i made that comment was that <clears throat> we we produce these videos that uh, portfolio managers uh make and we're, we're trying to disrupt the traditional retail sales cycle, where the retail salesperson goes to the financial advisor and tries to convince the financial advisor to buy the product of the company. And, you know, 
there are many retail salespeople that are trying to do that with a given financial advisor. And <clears throat> to some extent, it creates churn in the industry. And what we're trying to do is get away from that and let the financial advisor discover the portfolio manager and actually get to know the portfolio manager over the course of time by viewing these these uh, 90 second, two minute uh, video clips. So what I meant by the Netflix of asset manager is that people want to be self-directed today. People want to do their own research. You know, people want to discover on their on their own as opposed to answer a telephone or talk to somebody uh, and be peppered by salespeople. This was an this was an opportunity to do that, and that's what I meant about being the Netflix of asset management at the time. And I said that very few people were using that kind of video content and using the Twitter, Instagram, um, <clears throat> Face, Facebook uh, kinds of feeds to offer that up to clients. I think more people have started doing that. I think that's a good thing, but that's what I was getting at. When we started, we, we would say, what was the biggest investment mistake that you've made? And I think if I've understood, one of the mistakes is that the industry has made a lot of mistakes. Is there something personal in there that you could see that you've not aligned with or they've not aligned with as much? What If we would say, what was Peter Krause's one mistake? Because you joked at the start there was many. If you've had a 40-year career and you've made no mistakes, is there anything even, I don't know, sort of innocuous that if you could just go back in time, you'd fix it? Well, um, I think for many years, I just accepted the industry's construct as a as a good construct uh, and as a solid uh, you know way to proceed. Actually, you, you brought up Alliance Bernstein. When I went to Alliance Bernstein, my view was that the value business, which had basically imploded, uh, you know, needed a couple of years to restate to stabilize itself and then it would be fine. Uh, well, that would that was completely wrong. It took nine plus years for the value business to basically reorganize itself. It had to be completely restructured. Uh, people had to really think differently about how they invested. And and it's a much, much smaller business today. Uh, and it's finally doing well in the last few years. Um, but to have thought that all I needed to do was to stabilize Alliance Bernstein, not produce any new products, and things would come back in time, you know, that was just wrong. In fact, I've been wrong in, in both at Goldman Sachs and at, and at Alliance Bernstein about the time it takes to actually grow an asset management business. Uh, in, in each case, I thought that within a five-year time period, you could effectively grow the business. It doesn't take five years. It's 10. It's, it's always longer than you think. It always takes longer. And it's nowhere near as can you do this in five years. Aperture, if it's going to be successful, is an eight to 10-year project. It's a, it doesn't happen in five and, and we talked about, you know, performance track records. You can't get a three-year track record in less than three years. It's, it's yeah. just not possible. You need three years. Cool. So that was Peter Krauss. I think one thing that really stood out for me is he's a, he's a man who knows what he wants. Because one bit that really stood out was with Aperture, he's got six portfolio managers. He said he interviewed 600 to get to that number. So he obviously knows his own mind. What did you take away from it, Frank? What really jumped out for you on, on another listen through? Peter, uh, yeah, another listen through. He's clearly very on message. That goes without saying. But I think that's part of the reason he's, he's been put in this corner. He's sort of a lone voice, you know, significantly outnumbered by the rest of the industry. And as a result, you know, he's very keen to talk about this. He also said, I think it's interesting that paying fixed fees, 
he sees lead to a raft of other problems, particularly when it comes to kind of asset gathering. You know, he thinks that's fundamentally, you know, anti-investor, you know, encourages benchmark hugging as the fund managers get paid off the assets that they preside over. And, you know, that could just be that it's got bigger because the performance of the underlying asset class has done well. So it's just market beta, you know, and they trend towards the benchmark. This is, this is the viewpoint, you know, if, if you're remunerated on your asset base, you're less likely to take risks. You don't, you want to limit your drawdowns and that ends up not being advantageous to the end investor. No, absolutely. Well, I think, I mean, as, as a journalist, my ears are always going to prick up when somebody says that an incentive system is corrupt and words like that get thrown around. But maybe you need to say things like that of that magnitude to get people to listen, because it does sound like there is a fundamental change that he wants to happen. And and it's going to be hard for that to happen if we've got such ingrained thinking. So it'll be interesting to see how this does develop. If anybody comes in to, to counter him or, or there's a compelling argument on the other side of things that we haven't yet heard. We've seen ETFs try and go into the negative model. Not sure how well that worked out, but it'll be interesting to see how this does develop because it is such an important element of what we do. It's odd. I think the topic of fees isn't really discussed enough. You know, in any other walk of life, you look at the price of something and you make your assessment based on that. But yes, fees have come down massively in finance, in, in asset management, particularly, you know, in the US due to the success of passives. But investors, you know, like me included, don't always think about fees first. Sometimes it's irrelevant stuff like the prestige of the company that inform your decision. Absolutely. Or, or how much you know the manager or how good they are or, or what theme is potentially hot over the last six months and that is all put ahead of how much i'm actually paying to do this so maybe that's the lesson maybe we all need to pay a bit more attention to what we're paying for what we get having said that this podcast will remain free <laughs> so that was peter kraus thank you very much i'm chris slowly and i'm frank talbot 